Seven days ago, one of my satellites over Antarctica hunting for mineral deposits discovered a sudden heat bloom beneath the Earth, which outlined this. The red lines indicate solid walls. It's a pyramid. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. This might be the first pyramid ever built. But built by whom? By the first civilization. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Well, I can't tell you who built it, but if I can take a sample from it, then I can tell you how old it is. Well, Dr. Miller, I'm offering to put you right next to this thing. Where exactly on the ice is this? Bovatoya Island. But it's not on the ice. It's 2,000 feet below it. Today, as part of our LVRMP series, we'll be discussing Alien vs. Predator. Starring Lance Hamrickson. And you were right. The pyramid contains all three cultures. That's what it looks like. Those who choose may enter. It's not choose. It's chosen. Only the chosen ones may enter. You in Bremner. The heat bloom that your satellite detector makes a lot more sense now, Mr. Lee. What do you mean? Well, a building the sophisticated would require a major energy source. I think that's what your satellite detected. A power plant for this pyramid firing up. Preparing. Preparing. Raoul Bova. Ancient warriors would mark themselves with the blood of their kill. It's a rite of passage. Is this starting to make sense? And Shania Lathan. Humanoids, the hunters. They brought those creatures here to hunt. And they use us like cattle. We're hosts for them to breed in. The heat bloom was designed to lure us down here. This whole thing was a trap. Without us, there could be no hunt. Directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. We're in the middle of a war. It's time to pick a side. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. La Luna del Cacciatore. Hunter's Moon. Awkward, ironic laughter ensues. It's Galley in Glasgow. <laughs> this is like finding Moses's DVD collection. It's definitely in London. How do you say scared shitless in Italian? It's Patrick in London. Don't turn your back on me. It's Matt in <laughs> South Korea. Oh, welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, gang. Now, keen-eared listeners will recognize that this is actually the first time the whole gang are back together since we discussed Jaws, which should tell you to what extent we hold in high regard today's film, such was the personal sacrifices that we all made to be here today. That's right, isn't it, team? Uh, no, I was not on Jaws, so... <laughs> I was going to say, Devlin didn't do Jaws. Over two episodes, he technically was. If you, yes. if you include yes. the drink along, we were all present, but for the Jaws one, we were, we were threesome. Do we hold it in high esteem, did you say, or what? Did we sacrifice well, you were going for the irony that Jaws is amazing and this is shit, and yet we are united. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank okay. you very much, Matt. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, apparently I was happy to skip out on one of the undisputed masterpieces of cinema, but I'm back for this, which is a film that exists. <laughs> this is a film that was made once. Today, we continue our journey through the stars, or more aptly put, into the ice, as we discuss every single Alien and Predator film in their respective series. We call it LVRMP. That's clever, isn't it? So here we are, team. We have finally arrived at the big mashup, the big <laughs> fight. So uh, it's Alien versus Predator, 
also known as AVP, which is very, very silly, I think. Mm. Patrick, you have a particular gripe with that as a title, right? It's just fucking stupid. It's the silliest one since uh, Halloween H2O, isn't it? Yeah, it's the AVP colon. This is what AVP stands for. Fuck off. (laughs) <laughs> just call it Alien versus Predator. It's stupid. Can we think of an actual reason, or is it just because someone thought that sounded marketing? I guess. What well, well, you could, you could. Cool. I. It's a long title, I suppose. If you're trying to make a poster, maybe yeah, it's hard to fit on a marquee. I I haven't actually mm. watched the second one yet, but is it AVPR? The next AVPR. One? They yeah. do, but then they also call it Alien versus Predator Requiem <laughs> in in full again. Is there a colon? I, I think can't there remember. Is. Uh, colon, yes, possibly, you, I think there's also a hyphen between oh, us. Oh, it's silly. P and R. It's, I, I don't know, it's really clumsy. I was looking at it the other day. And while I actually quite admire that this film tried to reveal the letters like Alien did for the title <laughs> card, it's a fucking stupid title. Did you see how quickly he did that too? It's like, he, he felt like obliged to do that, but he just rushed it. So they were kind of appearing, but they were all appearing too quickly, and then all of a sudden they'd vanished. And it's like just a tiny taste of Alien, but a very synthetic taste. Like, well, we're getting we're getting straight into this, but is the comic book called AVP Alien? Versus I've never Alien? seen it as no, AVP. I, I, it's in full Alien versus Predator in the comic book on the front. I think. Yeah, we'll get into it. We'll we'll get into it. But before we do, first experiences with AVP. Um, I'll start with you, Patrick. Full title, please. Oh, sorry. Colin. Okay. I'll start with you, Patrick. Your first experiences with Alien vs. Predator, a.k.a. AVP. My first experience with AVP colon Alien vs. Predator um, is due to the podcast, and I'd never seen it. So I got it very cheap on eBay to watch, and I've seen it three times in prep for this. And each time... I kind of had, I don't know, a slightly deteriorating response to the film, I'll say. (laughs) Um, Ready for... I've got story time, so I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) Point me in the the direction of danger. Point me towards hackney danger. Hmm. (laughs) What about you, Devlin? God, I don't even remember. I've seen it. It would have been, what was this, 2004? So we're, we're at university. I definitely had seen it before I saw the sequel which we watched uh, from the rental shop. That I have a much clearer uh, memory of. I'm going to assume it was just on TV at some point. I do know that we had a, a, a housemate um, at university who did uh, unironically enjoy this film. So I think possibly he had um, some form of home media of it, probably DVD. But Phil, <laughs> can't Phil name Brown. shame on the podcast. Okay. Oh, sorry, I've just did. Yeah, yeah Lee, it's Bleep It. <laughs> it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite a common wow. name, though, Devlin. I don't, you know, there's a lot of Phil Browns. It could be the former Hull City manager, Phil Brown. Um, we don't know. That's true. He's a big yeah. fan of this. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we're big in the Humber side. Uh, so, yeah, I, I watched it and I, I never liked it. That's it. That's my memory <laughs> of the film. <laughs> These are very brief. Yeah. How about you, Matt? This one could have been an underwhelming cinema viewing, I think, but I can't say for sure. Um, I've sandwiched already. But uh, more likely a DVD rental in the Love Film 
screen select days even i think it was called screen select back then and i might own it on dvd but i think i only have the quadrilogy i don't think i ever got this one um the 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 first time the concept ever dawned on me was at the end of predator 2 with the trophy skulls in the cabinet in the, the predator's ship and you can clearly see the xenomorph skull um and or it was in the alien magazines that i used to get um which had snippets of alien versus predator uh comic books inside uh, and something i didn't own until later i later got the the hardback editions of those uh, uh dark horse ones i've got the terminator collection i've got the uh the aliens i think it's two aliens ones and uh there's also an alien versus predator one that i didn't get in time and it's all sold out now but there's some great kind of compendiums available so it's sort of brought to my attention through that but um was was never impressed by this one and i don't remember seeing it more than once i think i just saw it the once and kind of left it behind and and revisited my my favorites in the series uh galley yeah i saw this at university in the cinema uh you say underwhelming viewing matt i remember vividly calling devlin immediately after i'd saw it and for about an hour a stream of consciousness about everything I'd seen <laughs> that night. Uh, not to give away too many sandwiches, but um, I was essentially uh, regurgitating the sick that was in my mouth uh, oh, no. during the viewing <laughs> and slipping on it as it was falling out of my mouth. Uh, a visual there for you, team. Uh, a hor- horrific visual. Um, so, yeah, I haven't seen it since. Um, not even, like, curious watch. Um, but I, I do remember why I went to see it in the cinema, and it was just that kind of morbid fascination. So I'm looking forward to uh, to kind of getting into this again with you because one of the things that following the entire Alien and Predator series uh the value of it is it kind of shows you wh- which different directions studios take when you're trying to, uh, I'm trying to be diplomatic here, find new and creative ways of utilizing your your IP um, and bringing it to, to new audiences, I guess. And this was one of them. Um, and we'll get into whether or not that was a success or not. But before we do, and before I ask Patrick to... Um, give us a a kind of recount of the plot listeners disclaimer warning before we get into the moving maze that is this film we may get snarky okay but it is all an attempt to understand the film and its intentions it comes (laughs) from a pure place we don't normally spit acid for the sake of it however as the tagline for the movie i mean i've got to think that the marketing team were just crushing it here whoever wins we lose all right. So, Patrick, would you remind us and the listeners of the plot for Alien vs. Predator, AVP, I don't know. You, you, it's a stupid title. Alien vs. Predator. Remind us, please. In 2004, an unusual heat signature in Sector 14 on Earth is discovered by the satellites of Wayland Industries. Charles Wayland assembles a team of experts to explore this sudden heat bloom 2,000 metres under the ice in Bovatoya, separate experts to his own experts that told him it's a pyramid. 
Mountaineering guide Alexa Woods expresses her concern when she leads her team. She never leaves her team and reluctantly agrees to help along with the best drilling team on Earth, archaeologist Sebastian and engineer Graham Miller. When they arrive at the whaling station base camp under the light of the hunter's moon, they discover a perfect 30-degree tunnel already in place, leading to the pyramid. Could there be another team? Three predators on a nearby spaceship ready themselves as Wayland's expedition arrive at the pyramid. A number notes to them, accidentally activate the pyramid, trapping them inside its moving structure and awaken an alien queen from cryogenic stasis who starts laying eggs immediately. They are trapped in this sacrificial chamber. Alexa in danger of losing her team. The three predators kill Wayland's remaining team on the surface, and those below meet the alien facehuggers as the team are torn apart. But find and take the predators' blasters along the way. War ensues. Rapidly growing xenomorphs emerge and fight the predators within the pyramid, leaving one predator alive, who brands himself with the blood of a facehugger, the mark of a proven warrior. Only Alexa survives and forms an unlikely alliance with the remaining predator after killing a xenomorph herself, and both are hunted by the remaining aliens. They flee, deciding it best to leave the predator's self-destruct bomb to destroy all that remains within the pyramid and make their way to the surface. But the aliens have freed their queen, who makes her way to the surface also. Whoever wins, we lose. Thank you very much for that wonderful recounting there, (laughs) Patrick. Uh, Well, listen, guys, before we get into the movie, I wanted to discuss, like, the, the, very briefly, the history of the versus subgenre. And I guess before we, we look at AVP, I wondered if, if we, one, knew why these things exist and whether or not they, you know, they work. And if there are any good examples out there from, you know, from your cinematic history that you can think, well, there's a good example of a good mashup. Um, I guess it's, you know, Devlin, you're quite clued into the Universal Monsters stuff. Kind of emanated from there, right? You know, Dracula versus Frankenstein and all that kind of stuff. Uh, out with the um, the kind of the later Abbott and Costello comedy stuff, I, I don't know how frequent it was that in the Universal series that they would have these. A, a lot of kind of cheaper studios would cash in on it and smash these things together. Um, uh, Lugosi and Karloff would have, you know, uh, uh, come to blows at some point. But I don't know. I Japan is really good for it. The old Toho Studios monster mash stuff, uh, you know, Godzilla, Mothra, Ghidorah, all that sort of thing. But mostly those were characters that were being created within uh, uh, a shared horrible phrase universe anyway. So um, probably Godzilla versus Kong, the original Godzilla versus Kong would have been one of the first where you have two completely different creatures from a different um, uh, uh, origins that meet. Um, and the Godzilla versus Kong stuff is very good. I like it. I think it's Me fun. too. The the old one is is kind of quality giant costume nonsense, and the new one is exactly what it needed to be, which is you know an extremely violent, crazy um, modern blockbuster. But I don't know. Out with that. I mean, Freddy versus Jason was was the other one that was big around the exact same time as this. And that sucked. <laughs> 
has it been a good has it been a good like a legitimately good film whereby you have characters created by completely different um uh, uh artistic teams and whatever and then they appear on screen together and it's actually good James Cameron had a quote he believed that the film would kill the validity of the franchise and he called it Frankenstein meets were- werewolf you know that's okay right, that's right. how he dismissed this and it's what they used to call a monster yeah. rally there was the house of Frankenstein the house of Dracula they were the universal takes back in the day and and Devlin's tackled the, the the Kong Godzilla kind of angle so yeah I I had a few uh, like daft ones I made a list uh Scott Pilgrim versus the world <laughs> versus films <laughs> Joe versus the volcano the people versus Larry Flint Kramer versus Kramer <laughs> and King Kong <laughs> King Kong versus Godzilla they might be my top five honorable mention to what about the Ford Kid. versus Ferrari <laughs> Yeah. Otherwise the, known as Le Mans 66. Billy the Kid versus Dracula was uh, an honourable mention from 1966, which I've never seen, but sounds very stupid. I've seen, um, I remember watching Dracula versus Frankenstein back in the day. Yeah. That being a fun universal film that kind of stayed with me a little bit. I'd just love to see Kramer versus Larry Flint. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Slap versus Woody's... Big oh, no. ego. We're getting into celebrity <laughs> deathmatch territory, though. Now, aren't we? Well, like... well, and that's it, though, uh, Patrick, isn't it? Because I, I am. I'm. You know, listen. We all. We all stand at the altar of JC, also known as James Cameron. I. I agree with what he's saying about cheapening. Uh, well, harming the validity, cheapening the the franchise is is another way of putting it because you immediately then. Are in are in the realm of the the thing that we we said when we did Alien, which was here's this B movie, proper B movie plot that has been elevated to something else. When you put an alien fighting another creature, in this case, fighting, uh, you know, fighting around the world, you know, going around <laughs> singing songs. Uh, <laughs> when you do when when you do that with with me old mate Tagger, uh, when you when you do that, you immediately then are in the realms of schlock and the the predator you could argue predator 2 is kind of schlocky and we we enjoyed the the aspects that were more fun and kind of cartoony in it but as a sequel to a film that we said was like a staple of 80s action cinema it's not quite there but i i think they they assumed as such that they were like well we'll just make this a kind of like almost like a slasher um, because we're not going to make it a better action movie. Um, Aliens always evolved and you've always had different creators. They've always taken it seriously. You could argue Alien Resurrection is the one which is the least serious and is a bit of a French farce. But there are still themes running through it um, about evolution and creatures uh, and motherhood and, and all that. You can't do that in a fight movie or can you i don't know we'll get into paul is that why there's no sigourney there's no sign of her she she was quite snobby about it i heard she didn't like the premise um but her resurrection was dreadful not dreadful but we've talked about it and it's it is well she wanted to have she wanted to have sex with the alien and she got her wish uh technically it wasn't like she you know it wasn't intercourse but she was lying on them looking Mm. happy alien erection 
Mm, indeed. Yeah, I didn't like that she was on a high horse after that one. I don't think she's got any right to be on any kind of high horse, but she doesn't belong in this film. That's that's for sure. Oh, oh no, if Ripley's yeah. in this, I am... I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably attack everyone. Um, this was this this one had been mooted for a long time, right? So in the lineage of the making of, I believe this was floated as an idea as early as back around the Alien Three era, and this could have been the film that they did instead of Resurrection, from what I heard, and that that's why she was very um, dismissive of the idea. A lot of that making of predates this film. She was attached to what they called Alien 5, which would would have been James Cameron with Ridley Scott directing. And that was scrapped, or the plans to, to align all of those people uh, were scrapped so that they could rush through AVP. So imagine the film that we, we lost there. Does anyone uh, uh, think that there's anything left to milk from it Probably after not. Resurrection? Do you think that they would have been able to pull something out of the hat? Or is the the, the thing kind of... The, the horse has bolted to talk positively about the the concept of the film alien versus predator is kind of new you know like you said it's hinted at in predator 2 and i get why they went there there was a comic book that was reasonably successful and on the surface right if i and i i actually think i remember thinking this when i saw the trailer back then like alien versus predator cool like two coming together, you know, like we live in the multiverse kind of films now where they want all these possibilities. And that is our multiverse at the, at the time in 2004, Alien and Predator coming together, these two badass things. So they, I, I see why the studio were going in this direction. It's just a shame that they wanted to make it too accessible and immature. And I don't know if, not adult. All the films have been at 18. Yeah, co- yeah. cool was the word that popped Alien up straight away. Alien vs. Predator. And, and I think that W.S. Anderson is really preying on that, like the idea of the cool, the coolness and appealing to the, the teenage boy audience. I had one more thing on Cameron. He said that, um, I think he, he is being a bit, um, did you call him cheeky, Gally? Um, Cameron said, uh, after viewing Alien vs. Predator, he remarked that it was actually pretty good. And he thinks of the five Alien films at the time, he'd rate it third. He actually liked it. Uh, he said he liked it a lot. And I think it's because Fincher killed off his characters. And his babies, he, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but that, that would mean that he prefers AVP to both Resurrection and Alien 3, which is, how can you say that? How can you really say that with a straight This is a man who came out to bat for for Terminator Genesis, though. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right, though, Patrick. The concept immediately becomes kind of adolescent, teenage, you know, boys with toys smashing each other, which is not a bad instinct to go with if if you're thinking about it. Did it have to, though? I don't think it did. I don't think it had to be this... I think you're right. So I'm going to go straight into like my major notes and having watched it three times that the second time that the first time, you know what? I found the film quite innocuous and just kind of passing and like, okay, right. Fucking whatever. Um, while being slightly bored. And then the second time I found myself in, I think we discussed this a little bit throughout the alien franchise anyway, of what would have been better. And it's such a shame that films and filmmakers don't kind of trust the character uh, enough in like a silent cinema mode these days. 
I found it with Pixar's Dinosaur. I wish it was like a silent film. Anyway, why didn't the film just be Alien versus Predator? We didn't need humans. Imagine an exploration of an alien versus Predator having, well, we do need humans, I suppose, for the Xenomorphs to, 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 you know, be born. But do, do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, just the kind of all out that the main characters are. I like that idea too. Like maybe go to one of their planets and, and do it silently like that. But how, how could it ever work? Like on a human level, how could it, there be no, nothing for anyone to relate to? There'd be no, without any human characters. We've sort of discussed this in the series so far. If you eliminate that human element, how do you do That's it? What the, I mean, the predators are made, are kind of personified even within this film with their relationship with Alexa. So and, you'd go no dialogue you, at all? Just kind of... Well, you'd have dialogue, wouldn't you? You'd have the predators talking to each other. They communicate. <laughs> they, if you want subtitled, maybe, but motherfucker. No, you fucking hell. <laughs> Do you know, you know what I mean? Like the predators, they, they communicate with each other quite successfully. Just before the predator shoots the alien. What's up, Anytime. Uh. Anytime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, I know what you, I know where you're coming from, Patrick. I guess if I'm giving, um, Paul W.S. Anderson and the creative team behind this film a little bit of leeway, it's cutting your cloth accordingly. Like budget, budget wise, you know, I think it was one of the reasons why the, the Ridley Scott kind of prequel and we'll get to prometheus when we get to it it never got green lit until it did because they were like it's just going to cost too much money didn't have the technology to build that world and and in our notes we put building shitter worlds that's not to set say we've set an agenda or we've got a bias here listeners but one of the problems i found with this movie is that it it, it gets itself so wrapped around how to get these two creatures together that that becomes almost most of the movie so the so the 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 title is promising you alien versus predator and it takes 50 minutes to get to that point and what what we do with that 50 minutes i don't think the juice is worth the squeeze and and, and what i mean by that is that literally we we're trying to get these to get, we have time to build some characters that we care about Clearly, we're saying here we? we need. I think we do. We have fi- we have fifty minutes. Technically, yeah. fifty minutes is. Oh, we have the time, time to, to do it, it, but it. We have the time. I meant that's what <laughs> I'm referring. But, yeah. but, it, but it but it but it doesn't. It's just not in. It's either not interested or I think personally, I just don't think Paul W. Sanderson's one. I don't think he's a very good filmmaker. He's an even worse writer. Like that, it, everything's functional in order to to get the mechanics of the plot working, and he's forgotten to actually inject some some life into these people that we're following. And then when we do have the battle, I mean, I'm kind of like, I don't know, I'm almost walked into my summary here. When we, we kind of get into the battle, it's all for naught because I, who cares? And the worst thing is, and this is, again, I'm being harsh, but I listened to the commentary. So, Patrick, you get a medal for watching the film three times. I listen to the commentary, so I think I get a... Yeah, you deserve what, something. Uh, yeah, like you get to brand OB- yourself with blood, like yeah. acid blood, maybe or an OBE or something. Um, you get a sticker when- <laughs> like when you go to the dentist. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Lollipop. Lollipop would be nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, Suck on this. Yeah. In the commentary, this is where I think the biggest problem with the movie and building the wor- world and the law is that there's such deference from 
W.S. Anderson to the material, especially the alien world. He mentions in the commentary that he wanted the alien to turn up on screen at the exact time that it did in the original movie. And you're just like, mate, you are, you are not reading the mission statement here. This is a fucking alien versus predator film. You're not making Ridley Scott's alien. It feels like that, doesn't it? He's, he's going through the motions, like you said, without adding the heart of it. It seems like he's read the screenwriting literature. He's looked at the running time of alien and he's made some kind of a graph, (laughs) but there's really nothing that, that furthers it or, or anywhere near equals any of it does it i I noted down this idea that when he does the egg when he does the face hugger when he does the chest burster when he does the opening credit that i tried to articulate there like he's doing it but he's he's rushing it he's sort of yeah i have to do that so i'll give you that and then i have to do that and i'll give you that well like gally said like taking 50 minutes to see the alien or when you get to the pyramid, he doesn't half blow his beans, doesn't he? He just can't fucking <laughs> contain it in his pants. He just fucking jizzes all over the screen. He just can't, it's such a rush from then on. And it's yeah. so fucking, like, I don't know. He seems to be uh, well aware that we know what these creatures look like by now. And he is using that as a reason to have absolutely no drama in their reveal whatsoever, which I think is a surprising choice to make, which is just when a thing turns up on screen, it just turns up on screen. When a predator's there, they're just standing around watching watching special hologram TV. Do you remember, do you remember in one of uh, Cameron's rules that you, you have to kind of start from scratch? You can't just assume that everyone has, has mm. seen the, the previous films. You have to at least kind of hark back to something. I feel like he knows that we've seen them all. Yeah. And he knows that we think they're all better than his. Even that, I don't think he's trying to go over it. I, I think he's using what yeah. came before to to fuel it, but there's nothing in mm. this film that that makes you able to kind of watch it from scratch. Yeah, the predator reveal was especially just so, like you said, functional. Mm. The the ship design is just it could have been from any Canadian late night Channel Five sci fi from the <laughs> early two thousands. The like interior of the predator ship is offensive. It offended me. <laughs> it was just awful. I didn't want to see that. It looked nothing like Predator Two. At least Predator Two was 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 weird. Yeah, it's supposed to be kind of weird and, and old fashioned and all bones and shit, smoke and red light. I like all that. Definitely, with within the world that he creates, he is trying to tell us that these things created our civil began our civilization. Aztecian, yeah. Cambodian, and I can't remember. Egyptian. The Egyptian. The Egyptian. Yeah. Yeah. Why is their ship look like an LED screen? Why isn't their yeah. ship yeah. the thing that they have? So it's those, I mean, again, we you could get into like all sorts of nitpicks, but it starts to really like add up when you go, well, hold on, hold on. What about this? What about this? What about this? And all of a sudden you go, you know what? You've lost control of this from the concept. Like you were just a bit like this episode. You're all over the show. I wish I'd, I wish I'd listened to your Event Horizon episode in prep for this and I forgot to. I'm really sorry. But did you find him style over substance in that film? Yes, but there was a consistent through line I felt. And then it gets very silly at the end, but it kind of earns it. I wonder as well, and this is not to, well, it is slightly to ding the cast of this movie, but I wonder what the, 
he's got Jason Isaacs. He's got Lawrence Fishburne. He's got Ham Neal, aka Sam Neal. He's got <laughs> Jolie Richardson. He's got Kathleen Quinlan. He's got mm. really good character actors. I wonder if they brought a lot of the stuff that means that that movie, because we were, we were very complimentary, I think, of, of Event Horizon. It, it felt like an illusion. It felt like in people's memories, that film was better than it actually was. And when we went back and took it apart, although it is still his best film, it, it's, it's not what people, uh, people who have this in their imagination is also a lost cut of it. And that, you know, it's like Waterworld or any of these other things we've discussed with these lost cuts. Like, could it have been better? But the fact is the theatrical version of, of uh, Event Horizon is not not all what it's cracked up to be. Anyway, let's bring it back to Alien vs. Predator. So we're, we're starting from uh, shaky foundations. The other the, the other inconsistencies is, I said cutting, cutting your cloth accordingly. So I understand why you think to yourself, okay, well, we can't go to an alien planet because it's going to be way too expensive. So let's find the most isolated, some might say, alien part of planet earth which is antarctica you know somewhere that there isn't a mcdonald's there isn't a greg's so you can you can <laughs> kind of say well, okay well if if these creatures and he's obviously trying to as well not interrupt the actual law of either series so you don't you want to hint at it but you don't want to be like this is canon why do things happen in the future? The, the predators like it warm, though. Is that not odd that they chose to mm, go here? Yeah, I know it's like an alien world, but could could we have not have? Got, I mean, one of the things I read in it was called Right South Passage. America it, with pyramids. You know, there, there was a, a kind of a section of a, an, an Alien versus Predator comic where there was an African lad, and and he had to take on a predator as a rite of passage. And that was kind of an interesting mm. thing because the landscapes of, of, you know, the deserts were kind of alien and it suited the, mm. the, the, the predator law, as you said, a lot more than this. And I, I did find it quite, quite bland looking. It didn't, mm. I mean, even something like the thing, the thing works, but it's not trying to be an action film in the way that this is trying to be mm. an action film. So, but then, you know, we get there, Matt, and we're underground as well. Yeah. So the, yeah. the kind of terrain doesn't really. Once you're in the once you're in the temple or pyramid, it doesn't matter where you are, does it? Yeah. So in Predator, it looked scary because you're in a jungle, which is innately quite a scary place to be because you don't know what's around the corner. So it was a perfect setting for something like this, where you've got an unseen creature that can just murder you. And then the second film was mad as fuck, and we said that it was at least fun that it was <laughs> running around a city. They didn't quite yeah. nail it at all, but the the concept is there. There's plenty of places for this thing to hide. This is, you can make uh, Antarctica be an inhospitable environment. It's just that nobody ever looks cold. It bothered me too, Davlin. It bothered me immensely. She's wearing, at the end, a top and some trousers. Supposed survivalist. Supposed ice legend. That um, The fact that it's not at all cold really struck me as a bit of a a kind of a key difference between this guy as a filmmaker and the filmmakers that came before him, especially in the alien series that you've got uh, distinctive filmmakers who are to a greater or lesser extent, kind of bastards in, in pursuit of whatever it is that they want to achieve. Like between especially Ridley Scott 
James Cameron and David Fincher especially are three filmmakers who are renowned for they're quite happy to put their cast through the ringer to get what it is they want out of them. I'm not going to I'm not going to say that it's like the only way to make a film or that anyone should be, you know, hurt or hospitalized in pursuit of a film being made, especially not some kind of silly sci-fi mashup, but there is a a certain Paul W.S. Anderson strikes me as just a sort of affable kind of nice guy who quite likes computer games and outside of that I don't know what he's into what he's trying to get out of this like I don't know what his thesis is and because of that he clearly doesn't have any very 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 strong feelings about getting it out on screen it's not something he had to do it's a functional job and because of that you're not going to pull a full William Friedkin and turn the fucking AC up in the studio to the point, or Cameron on Titanic as well. And an example of that is like, uh, when, you know, when Fincher um, and Sigourney Weaver probably worked together to mess up her eye and, uh, you know, do like, uh, she's not presented as a as a, a screen beauty. She's presented as a character. Here, it, it feels like she she's, you know, doing like a modeling casting or something and and the 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 primary kind of thing is to to make your lead actress look look pretty rather than be be functional as part of a film where you know you don't want icicles hanging off her face or anything like that it's just kind of it feels like he wouldn't go there it feels quite clinical and it is it does feel like a computer game or or something like that rather than an actual movie that where the the world has been built like those first two directors and, and Fincher too, to a degree. It's one of the things that, that I noticed, Matt, is, you know, some of the lines of dialogue in this are, are, are utterly dreadful, um, completely functional, lots of exposition, but even their interactions feel kind of fake and synthetic and unreal, like the way that people don't speak to each other. It's, well, I need to get across something super quick. And we've talked and we've praised shorthand in the past. But when everything is shorthand, it felt like box ticking. Like uh, when one character talks to another, it's like we have to have something between these two, or that other moment won't mean anything. It doesn't matter what it is; just put them together for a, for a minute or two. Uh, particularly with you and Bremner and her in the in the helicopter and all that stuff. Also, going back to what you said about the cold, it doesn't help that she's talking about how if you're in that water you'd be dead in less than than two minutes so they're actually telling us how cold it is but they're not showing us which is another problem i'm graham miller i'm a chemical engineer alexa woods environmental technician and guide do you work for will oh no uh, no i um i split my time between working for a small environmental group and taking scientists on expeditions on the ice Lex, you and your friend buckle up we're gonna hit some turbulence Thanks, Jack. If you're a friend of yours. Of my dad's. My father trained most of the pilots down here. Just past the PSR. Oh, damn. I wish you got a picture. Of what? Um, the, the PSR. I wish he'd called it out before we passed it. <laughs> the PSR is the point of safe return. It means we've used up half our fuel so we can't turn back. Right, but if something went wrong, we could turn uh, Left, presumably. We could ditch. Yeah, ditch. But the temperature of the water would kill us in three minutes. This feels like a first draft script, full of exposition, full of all the like things they have to explain on paper, and it's been left alone. And it comes out of 
lesser mouths than the actors from Event Horizon, as you say, because well, I kind of mentioned very briefly to Gally offline, but I really feel for Raoul Bova, who plays Sebastian. Like I've, I genuinely feel for the guy because he can't handle this dialogue and there's no weight to it that he, when he's delivering it. And he's this Italian actor who hasn't really done an English language film and he's been thrown into this and expected to deliver these lines with such panache and weight. And it, it just it's just reading lines. I can't picture WS helping him out too much either. I can't imagine the two of them having a chat about that character and him helping the actor. Because, I mean, what's the characterization? It's, uh, you know, the, the bottle cap is his only bit of business. And it's like, well, that just happened because we literally yeah. just saw that. <laughs> if it was a bottle cap from his first ever expedition. That would have happened a fucked. day ago. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, it's to remind me of yesterday. It's, well, no, that should be, <laughs> if it's going to have like weight and meaning to him, then it should be a thing that, you know, was was some sort of formative event? Are we to suggest that this man's probably in his thirties? That nothing interesting has happened until maybe he's if like he had 34. a tattoo of Hunter's Moon on his arm or something. Well, like the artifact belonged to a relative of his, and it went back to because you know, it happens every hundred yeah. years, right? So link it back somehow, yeah. not the day before. The worst one, the most egregious, and the one that got me kind of laughing, but almost in pity, was the Ewan Bramner or Spud from Train Spotting for those. Uh, uninitiated um and chap from braveheart with scars who's from glasgow and they're real scars Rucko it glasgow is pub. yeah he is a rookie it is isn't he absolutely what's uh what's the actor's name i feel bad tommy flanagan he's the dad from uh from ratcatcher one of my favorite films of all time he indeed mm. is the dad from ratcatcher <clears throat> so we know and, and we mentioned it in our pull and focus episode you know a, a really good strong screen presence just everything about their interaction and also the costuming is just wrong so he's the tough alpha guy and they've given him frosting now i know that that's 2004 <laughs> so yes people did have highlights in the hair but does the tough alpha guy have that i'm not sure then like you said matt creating false scenarios in order to then have some kind of payoff later which is that he doesn't like uh, he doesn't like you and Bremner because he doesn't take it seriously and he takes he's messing around seriously. in that vehicle and he chastises him for it. But then the next time we see him, he's petrified and the wheels come off and and he's not a tough guy at all once he gets inside the the pyramid. So it all it all falls apart. And what's the one thing that we know about Spud from Train Spotting? He's got kids. I mean, it's actually yeah. to the point oh. of. It's almost naked gun levels of stupid because that's something you would do in a, in a, another team movie or a scary movie. Like, you know, mm. the dead meat joke in hot shots. That is yeah. it, isn't it? Like <laughs> I've got, I've got kids. Like Anderson's using it unironically, which then makes you go like, holy shit. Does he even know? Like uh, the, the only films he's seen are alien and predator films. You're never getting out of this place. You got any children? Got a son. Yeah, I've got two. That means that we do not have the luxury of quitting. We're going to make it out of here. We're surviving this if I have to carry you the whole way. In better hands and a better film, you'd feel that weight and kind of attachment. And in this one, they are offed two minutes later. Mm. And it's just, I... It's not what he does, it's how he does it. It's careless, isn't it? It feels careless. Genuinely, like, I had this one above fan fiction, and I'm not trying to be harsh, but 
you, if you didn't know his filmography, you would have thought this is a first-time director, first-time yeah. screenwriter. Mm. Someone who's come from a music video background. You know, it feels like yeah. that kind of film. But even without the the kind of flash and and bang you'd get from Flash somebody who's you get like I mean yeah think like uh, think of something like genuinely dreadful like uh, like Catwoman Pitoff's Catwoman it's a terrible film but that's a guy who came from visual effects and if nothing else you can say that he was throwing a whole bunch of weird visuals at the screen most of the time they're all terrible choices but at least he's making some I don't feel like Paul W S Anderson has an aesthetic at all. Some of it does come from doing it for the first time, like the flying face hugger, for example. You've never seen anything like that in the previous films. Maybe edging towards it in Resurrection, but here it's a slow motion, full shot, flying face hugger. And once you see it, you think, I don't want to see it like that. I'd with give, its, give me with the John Hurt clever editing. The, yeah. the um, flying vaginas. egg laying. Give me Scott Matt, one of one of the things that I I kept wrestling with is if you listen to the commentary, and maybe maybe he's just a really good snake oil salesman. He talks about how much he's such a fan of the Alien series, like to the point of he probably created the Alien wiki. I don't know. Like he says, he's like in such deference. He talks about both series, but I think Aliens his thing. He's a big, you know, Sir Wrigley fan. I don't know a fan would do some of the things that it's he fan, does in this though, movie. And then it's just a straight out copycat. And he just feels like a, mm. you know, like it's, he, he said box ticking and he's box ticking, isn't he's he? Emulating, isn't he? He's not bringing, he's not even doing what Jeanet did. Like at least Jeanet did something weird and new. Yeah. In the, in the mode though, for me, that is like, Right, if I do this, that'll keep them happy. If I do this, that'll keep them happy. If I, they did that, that'll work. I can do it this way, you know. And if, if I'm gonna, on one end of the spectrum, and just to have some sort of wax here, I'm glad that he chose practical effects to emulate the, the better filmmakers before him. Yeah, and the creatures, yeah. Like the queen coming to life from cryosleep, I actually thought looked pretty cool and looked good and was like really effective. And the eggs laying, I'm like, oh, okay. Along the conveyor belts. Okay, cool. Right. Great. I'm getting something now. And the practical effects, like quite enjoyed a lot of them, but then you get the fucking slow mo face huggers through midair, which mm. like you said, Matt, don't need it. it I don't really get that shot, to be honest, apart from slow-mo, but then we don't get much slow-mo anywhere else and it doesn't make sense. And it, I don't know. It, we said in um, True Lies, Gally, that Cameron's just throwing everything at the camera and seeing what sticks in a way. And it's just this, you know, like mash of all these things. And if Anderson's doing it here, just ticking boxes and throwing everything that he thinks he's learned from other films, it's just lazy, right? Mm. Well, that that's where. So you're saying throwing things at the at the wall and seeing what sticks. I don't even think he's doing that. I think this is this is cheaper imitation and emulation, but it's harming the things that he says he's a huge fan of. I, I look at that gestation period, and again, this isn't me as like a super fan of the series. Going, you know, you've ruined my childhood here. It takes 24 hours. We've seen it. We've established. Now, okay, we can we can speed that up. We can maybe speed up the gestation. But if you're going to do the gestation and you're going to do the face hugger and all that kind of stuff, why don't you why don't you lean into what that series has done with those moments in the past, which is 
it's all sexual imagery. It's all there. It brings no, it's actually to the point of it's so fleeting. And I understand that it's a PG 13. She's wearing a red t-shirt for a fucking reason. I get it. You know, we don't want to show too much blood. It was lame, like, wasn't it? She, that, that. she doesn't, she doesn't even seem to be in any kind of distress. And you know, Matt, the biggest, the biggest gripe I had was that she, her hair is still perfectly quaffed, even though she's had this thing on her head. Mm-hmm. Little things like that. She looks like Sting in Dune. Yeah, but why isn't why isn't like she got sl- why isn't she got slime or the you know the scars that John hurt? Just because if he's a massive the, the actresses fan, are here to look pretty. Then they're not here to be you know characters. PG thirteen. This is PG thirteen. Yeah. Alien. You can put a scar on someone's face though, Patrick. You know, like to show that there was no a need face to. We it. just cut they away could. from the actor's face yeah, and we watch a blood yeah. spot on a wall somewhere. That's mm-hmm. what we do here. So predator inconsistencies. I had lots. One. I'm going to go right to the end. When he blows up the aliens with his nuke on his arm, is that not, again, for a super fan filmmaker who claims that he loves these, these two, uh, these two franchises, is that not going against the whole honor thing of the predator? Mm. Like, and we, and again, in world, we see when overrun, they will take themselves out as well as, as well as everything else. But this yeah, predator, he tosses what? The bomb he tosses it away an, like that's what I would do. Room, yeah. <laughs> that's what I would do. Not what. <laughs> that's not what the you know the the predator of all honor and 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 um, code and uh, the, the great hunter. That's not. That's not cool, no. No. Well, I mean, if predator slashes one of the aliens and it melts off his little arm claws. And then he looks at it. You have a reaction shot of a predator going, ooh, that's unusual, which I don't think predators should be doing reaction shots ever. Um, but they designed these creatures, and this is part of their, like, they literally created these things, or at least they harnessed them so they would know everything about them. They would not be surprised that it would melt his little claws. I know it's, it's nitpicks, but it's like, you're right when you say that if a film's pissing you off, then like these small things are like, you didn't think about any of this. You didn't put any thought into this. So I don't know why I should as a viewer. Um, and also, I mean, if, I don't know, the entire concept is fucked. Like, oh, you're on about why, civilization stuff. Just all of it. Like, I'm not saying it's the worst idea in the world. I think it's absolutely fine. I just, again, it's like, theoretically, it's not, a terrible idea i just think that if you apply any logical thought to it for more than 15 seconds the whole thing falls apart as to why it was you know that was it cambodian mayan and egyptian cultures were all contained in one culture but then i don't understand why in, the Antarctica. in Antarctica. there was a strange thing that happened when i was watching the, the making of there's a big three hour making of we'll put in the playlist and it's on you the watched DVD all three too. hours I did, yeah, uh, but I only watched the film. I watched the film twice, but this was a, a, over the over quite a few months, <laughs> so I had time to refresh. That top trumps my OBE, sir, <laughs> sir Matt Ridley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, th- when he's talking, like you, you called him a um, snake oil salesman, and it's kind of is like that when he's showing you the concept art of the pyramid and the aliens running up. It's like, wow, that's that is cool again. Patrick's word, cool. And then once it translates to the screen, it was a bit like Resurrection. I kind of described that as something that would have been better, perhaps, as a graphic novel. And this one, perhaps, the imagery is strong. You don't have to solve the, you know, Patrick's idea of having just the aliens and predators having chats and dialogue and 
it doesn't matter if it's image based it works on paper and this is another one that works on paper but as soon as it's translated uh it it fails but if you listen to him talk about how he's going to do it it's very convincing and i i can't blame them for giving him the money and i can't blame them for trusting him this has got Geiler and hill and all those guys behind it they must have been convinced enough to to let him have a go Matt, I did see the conceptual art with the temple and the predator stood on the top. And a bit like when we talked in Predator 2 about the predator standing on top of a, of a, a skyscraper, you know, mm. that is a strong image. Yeah, it's the same but, shot in this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same, same angle. Shot, with identical. The ship he, he delivered mm-hmm. it exactly the way he pitched it. Yeah. Rain, everything. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but when you do it visually, I just thought, oh, predator looks a bit clumsy as he's kind of, uh, throwing that little spear around his body kind of looks a bit slow and cumbersome um yeah. especially before a million aliens attack him yeah but again where the fuck like, they all come that, yeah it yes. just it just felt like it felt like okay conceptually i get it and he set up that the predator's bomb would just wipe out the aliens but then at the end it blew up the pyramid yeah which, what sort of fucking yeah, bomb is this? In in the flashback where you've got Sebastian, one of the least Italian names for an Italian, <laughs> you've got him uh, able to. Of course, he can immediately read this thing. He he can read this like a book. Him and his mate. It just this is like three ancient cultures mashed together, and he is literally just reading it off as if it's just a cue card. But it's all this flashback of like what happened. So it's well, you blew it up. You know, it's like it was the end of the long count and they blew the whole thing up. And that's why it's this entire civilization wiped off the face of the earth, except for this completely perfectly preserved uh, uh, pyramid under the ice in Antarctica. It, it just doesn't get past the sniff test, does it? You know, the other one for me that started to waft a bit of uh, bullshit was the alien escape, which is directly lifted from Alien Resurrection with the aliens attacking her and then melting, melting her chains. Uh, by the way, I've been really negative. So I am going to uh, say, Patrick, you're absolutely right. Best, best bit of imagery, best part of the movie is seeing the alien queen kind of lifted in this almost Hellraiser like um, kind of torture chamber. But the way that the alien queen escapes, it's as if that's the first time that she's ever considered that this might be a way of getting out. <laughs> They've been doing this for thousands of years, and what? Yeah, but she's been thinking she... about it for thousands of years <laughs> sleep. Yeah, she's like Stallone in Demolition Man. Like, you're still dreaming in that big <laughs> chunk of ice. Hunk of chunker. By the way, have I told you that the predators in the credits have names? This made me laugh yeah. when I found out. Our main one, listeners, is called Scar because he <laughs> scarred himself. Oh, that's why. Behave, man. What <laughs> the one that the one that I can't work out is 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 Celtic, and I don't know which one he was. I don't know if he was bone bone mask one or one with silver shades, but he was called Celtic. <laughs> and then the other one was called Chopper because predator, because he's got a big dick <laughs> and a handlebar mustache under that mask. It was played. It was played by Eric Eric Banner. You just couldn't see. They're very, cl- they're very clunky, aren't they? The big they're chunky boys. Sorry. These uh, these predators, they don't have any of that kind of Kevin Peter Hall gracefulness. They're big fat lads. They all look like Scott Steiner. Yeah, you're the big wrestling fan, and I assumed yeah. this was like because doesn't the, doesn't the predator suplex? Big pump. <laughs> doesn't it suplex the alien at one point, or yeah, did I make that him, up? Uh, 
he gives him the Cesaro swing or the Claudio <laughs> swing or whatever they call it, where he just grabs him by the legs and just starts whipping him around. Yeah, he does. Yeah. There are moments like when the Predators take their masks off. Um, you know, when they, mm. he, he undoes his uh, little tubes, that there are moments yeah, there again that feel like, oh, I have to do that. So I'm going to do that. And he does it in a hurried way but it's not evocative of anything. It's, it's like, and then when he does take the mask off, it's the worst predator animatronic face we've seen so far in the series. I think even like the camouflage element of the predator just seemed hurried and cheapened and like ineffective and bollocks. The, the tooling up sequence as well was, was, you know, on the ship where you've got the, uh, almost like the evil dead, the evil dead two groovy, you know, that yeah. all this shit. So fast. I had a theory, Devlin, that Anderson was embarrassed with his own movie at some points because he knew how yeah. laughable the imagery was. <laughs> uh, I have two moments. When the when the three uh, Scar, Celtic, and, uh, and Chopper. Chopper when Chopper. they when Chop. they when they, big big chops <laughs> big 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 banner chops when when they run into the pyramid immediately <laughs> they go to um, they cloak themselves because yeah. I think. It's a bit old, only fools and horses that when they're running towards the camera. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Yeah, and then the second moment is when when Lex has been anointed as worthy to be uh, Scar's companion. It's just out of focus when they run away, and I have a theory that they shot it in focus, and they went, "Oh God, that looks unintentionally <laughs> ridiculous." Yeah. Rack the focus. Make it, make it out. Why, why is it out of focus? Why are the, the it's not stylist. It's, and he doesn't do it yeah. any other time. No, he just goes. You know what? It recalls that shot from, um, Alien, Alien Ardon, Alien Resurrection, where they, they have the underwater sequence, which is quite good. And there's an alien that takes one of the characters and it goes off mm. in, out of focus into the darkness. Really yeah. effective. Really. That's how you use that shot that was kind of effective. And obscure and, you know, like, uh, portraying going into the darkness and into the obscurity, which is scary. Yeah. That's just a fucking cutting room floor shop. Doesn't make sense. Mm. Mm. There's a, there's a few as well. I know, uh, I don't know if you caught this one, Matt. I know that this is a particular bugbear of yours and, and mine as well. The, um, during one of the fight sequences, there is one single shot which has, uh, step frame slow mo, which mm. means, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know how to pace this fight scene. So you have the Predator turning around and it's all, you know, old style step frame slow-mo. And yeah. then the next shot is ramped slow-mo, which means they they hadn't paced this out. They didn't it's know how to do this fight. Yeah, I mean, it's a post-production. The uh, digital solve. camera shakes during the fight mm. as well were oh, jerking yeah. my chain. But is that is that him jerking his own chain in the editing room and like, Oh, this will be cool. I think, yeah, I think it's a rescue job in the, in the editing room. Yes. The, the attempt to be cool lasted until he saw the first assembly cut of what he had. And then it turned into, let's try and rescue this and, and get it as close to a film as we possibly can. Let's make this sci-fi channel competent. I want to be able, I want audiences to at least be able to get through this. And then this means it, that's why it felt like a video game. It was, you know, it's 
the pertinent information that you need in order for you as a first person player to get onto the next piece of information. So it's like, what have we found here? It's another clue. Let's sit and read it and then we'll read it and it's perfectly legible and then we'll move on with this new piece of information. It's but- that horrible stage a moment when the Scar, the last remaining predator, is scarring his helmet and they're that, Sebastian and Alexa are at like a viewing platform peep yeah. show window. <laughs> <A little> pe- <laughs> <laughs> a perfectly <laughs> rectangular little <laughs> viewing Fucking window. Hell. Yeah. That that entire scene is the key to the whole movie not working because the, some of the dialogue is so ridiculous and it also speaks to Chicken Cacciatore. The the port the porting of ideas from previous films and now the porting of a character. So for for whatever yeah. reason, Sebastian then starts saying it all starts to make sense now. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he asks her. He asks her, "Is it starting to make sense?" And mm-hmm. if he's a- if that's Anderson asking the audience, fuck off, Paul. No, it's not. Uh, Patrick, it gets worse. Then we jump to her conclusion: the enemy of my enemy. Is my friend. Yes. And then she starts to say things like what Ripley would say <laughs> after three movies, which is we can't let this, this thing get yeah, to the yeah, surface. Yeah. And yeah. then the funniest line of the movie for me, hundred percent. And, uh, you know, again, I feel bad for, for her having to say it is when we have to consider the possibility that we might not get out of here. <laughs> I, I just thought again, like yeah. imagine being on set <laughs> and just, I would just be like, Oh my God. When that door opens, we're dead. Not if we set things right. What do you mean? This pyramid is like a prison. We took the guards' guns, and now the prisoners are running free. To restore order, the guards need their guns. When that door opens, we're going to give that thing his gun back. Are you crazy? During a big game hunt, the animals been hunted. Don't arm the hunters. They're not hunting us. We're in the middle of a war. It's time to pick a side. We are on our side. We have to consider the possibility that we might not make it out of here. But we have to make sure those serpents don't reach the surface. Because if they do, everything everywhere could die. The enemy of my enemy. It's my friend. Yeah, but, but the moment where the Predator's making her little shield from the alien head, yeah. she actually asks it, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> How could you comprehend what a god is doing? This thing is a god. It's yeah. stood in front of you. And what are you doing, mate? What are you doing? But you know, like as an actor, as a serious actor, would you not on set go, I, I, I don't need to ask that. What? No. You know, like, yeah. it doesn't make sense. It Shouldn't I be fucking traumatized? I have just been exposed to the fact that there is not one, but two uh, uh, species of, of intergalactic being. I've just learned that human beings are not alone in the universe. And I've just processed the fact that it's not going to pull my head off. Yeah. 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 So now, now I can question well, it. What are you doing, mate? What are you doing there? Yeah. I'm just chopping off her head. Okay. She cannot hold my attention on screen. And the, the one person, and it might have something to do with the fact that he's a tough guy from New York, that, that when he's on screen, when Lance Harrison's on screen, for whatever, you know, he's not like a star star, but he's got gravitas. He's got, he's got like presence. She, her faux toughness 
really grated on me. It's all very perfunctory from her. And it's, is it poor writing, directing, perhaps? Because, like, she is fine. It's just, yeah. I don't buy her character. I remember that. I remember her being, like, perfectly... I, I don't blame her for the, the deficits of this film, largely. I think that she's doing whatever she can with what she's got, but it's thin. It's not much range from her, though, either. Though. Like, it, it's... Yeah. When, you know when she's hanging hanging for dear life, she doesn't yeah. look distressed. And I know that this is like minor, but I registered that she doesn't look particularly frightened of this her This is Devon's thing again. This, this is the WS is not doing what he needs to do. He's not pushing them to, to a, a degree. Well, this is exposing Anderson, though, as not a, an actor's director, mm. right? But he's yeah. also not an action director. So what is he? Hey! Yeah, and again, going back to the you know that cool premise. If you were a fourteen, fifty-year-old boy who watched Alien and Predator and Aliens, like and you jizzed in your uh, pants. <laughs> <laughs> Alien versus Predator should have been better. You know what? Compared to compared to this, Predator Two looking like a fucking solid recommend oh, yeah, for yeah. me. Like, yeah, no, I retroactively was thinking like, wow, at least I like I was going through the, the you know the directors and we we're saying that. I don't think W.S. Anderson has much of a aesthetic at all. I don't know what it is that he does. The other filmmakers at least put their imprint on it. You know, you've got uh, uh, Ridley Scott's kind of cerebral, haughty creepiness. You've got James Cameron's balls to the wall. Like, he seems to have a preternatural ability to know what an audience will react to. He can play mm. us like a like an orchestra. David Fincher is a miserable bastard. So that yeah. comes across. Which works. Uh, uh, and... Uh, and Jeanette loves like a weird slimy carnival. So that also comes across like it's There's silly. more character development in Danny Glover's trousers than anything else. Yeah. Hey! Stephen, Stephen <laughs> Hopkins is, is the least of the directors that we've had so far, but at least he looks like he's having fun and he knows that it's like, this is going to be grim, violent and, uh, and, and like a proper like Saturday night, get some cans in kind of film. Nobody's drinking a can to this. Let's let's focus in on on some of the because it's it's the majority of the movie, like the setup as well with the whole bringing the team together. I mean, Matt, you messaged me offline, and I did chuckle that Lance mm. Henriksen's introduction is <laughs> metallic boots hitting grid. And yeah. then he's got a Madonna microphone and he's like, <laughs> hi, hi, I'm Lance Henriksen. They've got the things all set up. They've got the PowerPoint all set up. And what a dick movie comes in behind them. Everyone has to turn around. <laughs> and, he's, and I love the way that he refers to his uh, his experts who are not present on the dig. Who's the blonde girl with the gun? She has one line to try and be cool about the condom, is it? And, you know, like, just... No, yeah, that didn't work. work it kind of reminded me of the blonde girl in um, uh, the Matrix, who also mm -hmm. doesn't have much to, to to go on. But when she does that, not like this, it actually lands. It's like you can do it. That that whole thing is done much better in Prometheus. I thought um, it's the exact same scene with another Wayland, and it's all, it's done much better in in that because it doesn't look like a PowerPoint. It looks like uh, the the technology is finally there. And like you said, the, the how often do you see it in a film, the ragtag misfits all pulled together? We need to know who these people are beyond the last 24 hours, which is all we've we've seen. And uh, there's just nothing to guide us. But like you were saying, Gal, you've got time. You've got 50 minutes. You could have done something with them. And they just spun their wheels. We were... the. The screen real estate was not 
disproportionately laid out. I don't mind keeping, I want to keep the fight back until you don't want to blow it in the first 15 minutes. Yeah. You want to keep it for around the hour mark. And then the last third goes hectic and haywire. But the the amount of time is not the problem. It's that they did nothing with it. Nothing. They didn't establish that the, like, I was thinking um, 30 Days of Night is the only other film that I could think of that's a genre film set in an extremely cold environment, like, of a similar era. The Thing? The Thing well, is uh, similar, of a similar era, era a similar yeah. time, though, oh, in sorry. the 2000s. Yeah. Um, and I, quite like I that film. remember... I remember being pretty good. Yeah, it's 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 been this, and I, it looks it looks cold. I'll add another one, Davlin. Uh, Stallone's Who Done It Detox. Oh, no one, I've no one remembers that one. Literally, <laughs> never heard of that film, Kelly. Oh it? well, uh, strong, strong recommend from me for a terrible Stallone. Uh, it was when he was in his kind of doldrums period, and he's like, might need to do another Rambo or a Rocky. Wow, <laughs> no one's watching Detox. <laughs> Detox, he snuck that one by us, didn't he? So, what about Alexa Woods then from development? You know, do they try something with her? In her introduction, where she's isolated and she's on the ice shelf, and yeah, they try to rip off Mission Impossible too. She goes against them, and she, yeah, she goes against them, and you know, says like no, essentially, and then is brought back into it. And does she develop a little bit with the Predator? She becomes a warrior, and Patrick, even when she recounts the story with her dad, it feels like a made-up story. When she's like, "He opened a bottle of champagne." It's eastbound down recounting, isn't it? My plums. <laughs> you nailed this one when we were chatting about this earlier when you said uh, second act, oh, sorry, end of the first act, refusing the call. This is, yeah. I read the book. I know that at this point she has to say no to the adventure before she says yes to the adventure. But mm. <clears throat> but she's in, it's she's out, the, she's in again. I don't, it's, it's not a terrible idea. It's like, you know, like that they get taken down there on a, the hubristic last expedition of a dying billionaire. It's not a terrible idea. I just, mm. but they do it again in Prometheus, which is strange. Didn't come out really on mm. screen. You, you wonder how much of that they stole. Cause if there was an alien five in, you know, in, in, in the running, whatever Fincher and, and sorry, whatever uh, Cameron and Ridley Scott were going to do, Maybe some of that found its way into AVP, and that's why it bears a resemblance to elements. Do you of think Prometheus. Cameron allowed that? He doesn't own it. It was his own script. No, a- Aliens' is script. We're not about the IP is not his. How many times we've talked about the, the various iterations, the fact that Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection went through so many versions. They must have a stockpile of 40 unmade drafts. You've got William Gibson's draft, mm. you've got... Uh, the stuff that what's his name? Uh, the original Alien Three, uh, the the wooden monk planet bit, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Like, there's just so, no, no, so much material. Did, did another one, didn't he? Yeah. So, can, can we talk about the end of the film? It's got one of my favourite shots. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm going. It's a favourite shot. Uh, I wonder if you've got any. There's a bit, um, and I quite like the tunnel. There's this cool tracking shot down the tunnel at the beginning that does give a nice scope, which I quite like. But at the end, when they escape. A, how the fuck do they travel that far with a predator's time bomb ticking and get out of there in time? But B, when the, uh, when the, uh, trolley, I'll call it. Slip and slide? It's, like, ejects them. There's a shot where, uh, Alexa's like 
dummy is completely ragdolled out of the tunnel. And it, if you look yep. closely, she definitely dies in that shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. It's hanging right off the edge. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I think the dummy's head hit something and it's, I mean, it's even in like 48 frames or something, but, um, it's my favorite shot of the film. And also set up and pay off galley, which you do like at the beginning of the film. This is great. Oh, by the way, these experts, these scientists go to a whaling station and they see these massive rib bones. I'm like, what are those? Oh, they're whale <laughs> ribs. I'm like you fucking idiots. But at the end of the film, it seems like I've got a, I've got my hat off to Anderson for this. Like the, the only reason those whale ribs are there is so that the queen can smash through them as she chases Alexa. Bravo. The best shot. And the best sequence in the film is the regeneration of the queen when she's uh, mm. reactivated with the Jim Cameron lightning and everything. It felt really good, and it and it looked just as good in that animation. It felt like it, but it could have belonged in Aliens, right? It did. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, before the maze shifts again on its very very silly ten minute timer. Um, metric we're time. Gonna, we, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> metric time. Greenwich Mean Time. Um, we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna stop off at the real quiz, Patrick. I Whoa. have I have I've created something that I've called name and shame. That was the real quiz, and that was the real quiz all along. And that, that was, was the real quiz. Real quiz. <laughs> we were listeners going to uh, all untie a boot and throw it over a, a roof, but instead of that, I am going to. And here are the rules. I am going to name or say a line, and you're going to tell me where Paul W. S. Anderson stole it from okay what the better okay. movie he stole it okay. from okay do, do we need buzzers for this we do need buzzers so uh devlin uh what's your buzzer show your picture on my kids <laughs> very good um patrick what's yours <laughs> what are you doing matt what's yours laugh it up miller okay here we go here's here's my first one i'll keep it nice and easy a moving maze where did Paul W.S. Anderson get the moving maze from? What are you doing? The Cube? Yes, 1997's Cube. Yes. Great movie. Great movie. Um, number two. Uh, I'm going to fund your project for the next year. It's uh, Jurassic Park. Very, very, very good. Okay, uh, number three. I've got the best drilling team here in the world. What are you doing? So I'll show you a picture of our I'll give I'll give it to Devlin because he hasn't answered yet. <laughs> he was not. He didn't win that. I know. Get on with it. Uh, it's uh, Michael Bay's Armageddon. Ah, oh, very good. Very, very, very good. Technological civilization. So civilizations with new tech. Where did he nick that from? <laughs> this is great for radio. Three men <laughs> staring into space trying to think of the answer. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit more. Um. Uh, a merging of old and new with gods. Oh, uh, uh, uh what are you doing? Stargate. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know that Paul W. Sanderson watched Stargate. He did. Some pyramids he in it, it too. There, there are loads more listeners, but that's just a little fun game to highlight thievery. He's seen <laughs> films. <laughs> How did this film do in the box office? It did well. It did well, actually. Yeah. I think it was 50 million budget-ish and made 170 million worldwide. Oh, okay. So a success. Not a massive success, but um, enough to warrant a sequel, which we'll talk about 
And what about song. its success in Critics' Corner, Matt? Unfortunately, our favourite two critics were both dead or retired, I think, at this point. So it was up to Peter Sobsinski at RogerEbert.com. Um, said, uh, although presumably made as a way of doing a modern-day version of somewhat dubious monster mashups, the idea of bringing together the greatest metaphorical movie monsters of their respective time periods, the alien representing fears of sexual revolution and the predator symbolizing the might-makes-right military mindset of the following decade in a battle for supremacy is one that is not entirely unpromising. It may have actually been something in the hands of a smart and gifted filmmaker, unfortunately, Anderson, (laughs) who would find his true calling as the driving behind-the-scenes force of the Resident Evil series was not that director. His work here is so fumbling that it is hard to believe that he has even seen any of the earlier films, which we've proved wrong. Wow. There you go. Um, William Thomas at Empire said, Fans beware. Your favorite two sci-fi franchises have been stripped of all their guile and maturity. It may offer the occasional treat, but AVP is sadly devoid of any real thrills. Couldn't have said it better myself. In fact, uh, far more cutting than I with the gifted filmmaker. I think I just said snake oil salesman. You can still make a film. <laughs> yeah. snake oil salesman. Mm. But that's, uh, well, okay. Well, that's interesting. I have a critic's corner of a different type. Oh, we good. have a listener who emailed us about this film. Ah. Uh, uh, who had, had mentioned some other stuff. He, he got in touch uh, a couple of months back to have a chat about the show. And he uh, he brought up Alien vs Predator. Uh, so I, I asked Who's him the listener? opinions. This is Mark Talkington from from Crinkly Bottom. Emails. Where uh, where's I, he from? <laughs> Bunghole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just just to let Mark know, it's just that everyone who emails us generally is from towns that are euphemisms for us. It's, I don't know why that is. I don't know where Mark is from. I will ask. <laughs> we're not trying to, we're not slagging him off just <laughs> so wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute mark is from brown willy in cornwall <laughs> <laughs> fuck off it's <laughs> impossible it's either that or he's from fanny barks in durham i don't know which one <laughs> Anyway, um, no. you know, I, it's not it's not our fault that all our listeners seem to be from these wonderful parts of the UK. Anyway, what did what did Mark have to say, Devlin? Uh, Mark's very uh, uh, very insightful on this one. He said that um, it could and should have set the scene for a series of really interesting Alien versus Predator titles. There's potential material to work with. The settings and the way that the creature could have been explored uh, were myriad. To its credit. He didn't hate the setting or the contrivance of how to get the creatures on Earth in the present day. Uh, the challenge of explaining, explaining that in such a short space of a movie must have been difficult. Some of the imagery was good, the iconic alien and predator face-off, uh, but the execution was extremely tame. Two of the most brutal and violent creatures ever brought to the screen, reduced to wrestling matches and bullet-time face-hugging. The climactic team-up uh, team between the human and predator was a mistake. Uh, the theme runs through the comics, so fans who would be familiar with the extended universe would have understood where this came from, but a casual fan who only knows the Predator as an evil butcherer of humans must have been thinking this is a massive stretch. Uh, he also talks about the making of featurette that Paul W.S. Anderson sold him on that as well. The snake oil salesman struck again, 
and he showed all the storyboards and his designs and he said this is going to be ace but that it was extremely tame and uh set the franchise back massively well well thank you very much mark wherever you're from whether it's fanny box or brown willie um no thank you very much for sending that in i i couldn't have said it better myself to be honest with you little glitterist derbyshire <laughs> and that, that one's made up devlin come on Come on. These people are for real. They're from real places. Um, okay. Well, we will do our final thoughts and our recommendations. I'll start with you then, Matt. Would you recommend Alien versus Predator to our listeners? Uh, so far in the series, this was the worst for me. It did rank the lowest. I, I didn't think it was a complete disaster initially because of some of the concepts being really interesting. Um, but what is on the screen is pretty dreadful. It belongs in a comic book, not on a movie screen. Um, I, it is asking a lot to have pretty much mute aliens and predators at the center of this and to have the audience care. So we need a human element. Otherwise, it's always going to be an uphill struggle. And he did drop the ball on the human element of this one. Um, I think Paul W.S. Anderson wants Ripley without actually having Ripley, without the legacy. He's porting over Ripley's attitude and ideals, and it ends up being meaningless in a new character who is very clearly not Ripley. Um, my biggest gripe, I think, was that he shorthanded everything. Um, he half-assed the eggs and the chest burster and the face hugger. He showed too much on the, on the face hugger, actually, and the, and the queen. I never felt like he was a peer. I feel like he was standing on the shoulders of geniuses to try and accomplish something. Um, and uh, there's that famous quote from from our favorite rock and roll scientist. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses to accomplish something as fast as you could. And before you even knew what you had, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox. And now you're selling it. You want to sell it. There's an ongoing thing with cinema where we have to ask, is it art or commerce? And some films are, are made with like a purity of heart. And and this film doesn't come from that place. It comes from a boardroom. And I think those guys like Guyler and Hill and all those guys, they need someone to battle against them because I don't think they know what's best for them or the alien audience. That's why we've had such strong directors in, in this franchise so far. And at least three times out of four, um, it's worked. So... Um, yeah, uh, it didn't move me. I wasn't emotionally invested in this. Uh, the problem was the execution. Um, I, I can't recommend it. Um, a lot of the responsibilities, they fell at the feet of the director here. And, and, um, again, it's easy for us to say from the comfort of a sofa watching it. And it was even easy for me to think maybe I could have done a better job than him, but, um, I don't know. You never know, do you? But, um, it's uh, maybe each of us could. I think we all would have made very different AVP films. I think there's so many, there's so much potential for this that um, it, it it didn't materialize in a way that I that I enjoyed or responded to. Um, so yeah, uh, it it just collapsed under its own monster rally title instead of embracing that thing and doing justice to two of the best creatures that we have uh, in in sci-fi horror. So uh, I suppose a lot of really intelligent directors wouldn't have touched it. So maybe it was doomed from the get-go. But who knows? I'm going to pass over to Patrick. It's all, for even Mark's words there and yours, it's all been very well said. And I share the feelings as well. 
uh, I think it's quite rare where I wouldn't recommend a film in any capacity to try something and always give everything a chance because I'm a bit of a believer of that. But no, I don't recommend this film. Um, I, yeah, I didn't think it was very good at all, actually. Um, I tried to find the positives in our talk today, which I've really enjoyed because there was some imagery that I liked with the Queen and your friend of the show, Lance Henriksen, is always worth watching. But this just made me kind of sad that it was so shit because if I was to transform myself back all those years ago to teenage me, maybe, before uni, Alien vs. Predator would have been quite an exciting title and promised something different. And we didn't really get different. And that's a real unforgivable thing for me. It, it's... I felt like someone just cheated on their exam and put it out there and just fucking didn't give a shit and wiped his hands with it and walked away. And it's not... <clears throat> he's not... Like, you know, Predator wouldn't accept Anderson. There's no honour in how he's tackled his filmmaking here. And uh, it's... Um, yeah, it, it's... You know, like, I don't know, I try and find excuses, the 13 producers, but 20th Century Fox, what were they thinking? What Was it some sort of response to the dimension horror films of the late 90s and making it for the adolescent teens of the times and try and make it entertaining and accessible and easy? And I, it didn't work on any of those levels. I was trying to find something, but just doesn't work it was boring and it it was a hard to rewatch um because he's even got fucking spud in and i love spud and he was shit you know mm. it's just shit film patrick could i ask you how, how you rank them so far what's your order so far in the lvrmp alien aliens alien three alien ardon <laughs> uh, Oh, wait a minute. Am I, am I including Predator in the ratings? Predator and Predator 2. Oh, that's actually hard to do on the spot. That's quite hard. Yeah. But actually, I would on be the... Alien, Aliens, Predator, uh, Alien 3, Predator 2, Alien Ardon, and then, I don't know, like 10 feet of shit, and then this film? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. We've got more films to review. So hold your ranking for right now sorry i was i feel like i've been quite rude there, there you go um what about devlin are you as forlorn as i am yeah it took me like seven hours to watch this film. <laughs> <laughs> seriously it took me it took me it took me seven hours i was watching it uh and i just kept pausing it and going off to do anything else i really had to force myself into watching it and parceled out like that, you get to see just how kind of perfunctory the nature of every individual sequence is, because there was just nothing keeping me watching this film. It was so featureless and and bland. And like I say, I, I don't think he has particularly any sort of taste. I, I I think he's just so functional. And it comes down to the score as well. There are little moments that's trying to ape better scores from other films. It doesn't work. You don't. Re I don't remember any music cues whatsoever. 
It felt like it was trying to be Sylvester at times. I picked up on a little bit of that, but it, it was like a, couple a, a of very half assed yeah, attempt. But... Yeah. I watched it three times yeah. and I don't remember a single chord. I'm sometimes a little hard on uh, lol. Um, this um, extended universe <laughs> lore. <laughs> Leonardo. <laughs> There's a quote. Um, the, and I feel like I'm. I'm being a bit mean when I do it. I don't usually, I don't know. I don't really care that much. <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't keep going on about it, but this whole Yautja thing of, you know, having guys will watch, you know, uh, uh, or read comics or there's books or there's wikis or there's whatever. And like you said, that they've got names, Chopper and Bobbo and Dickless. Rudy, and and Java. I, <laughs> yeah. Mine's unleaded. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> And I, I actually do think that it's not anything like it's, it's fine. It's like a fun hobby for, for, for things. And I like that. I mean, it's pretty much what we do. We take things that other people have made and then we create a podcast around it. It wouldn't exist if it weren't for the fact that somebody's making these films for us to talk D- about. Devil, I'm so but sorry do... to, to interrupt you. Mm. But do you think this is like a first or example of like a fanboy film? Like, you know, Snyder's Justice League kind of filmmaking that we're into I... at the moment? Yeah, I would have I would have thought that would be the case if it weren't for the fact that this just seems to show so little regard for the things that it's fanboying over. If if it were more like um that uh Predator versus Batman YouTube video that some effects guy made for a laugh in an alleyway looks better than this film. Yep. Uh, it's got more uh it's got more creative editing and 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 uh, camera choices and this is just so flat and but this this extended universe stuff um i feel like they did take this through line of you know a a human uh uh becoming you know uh, uh gaining the respect of a predator i don't mind it as a concept i think it would have been absolutely fine i just think that they fucked it it, it just nothing came across and i think that that's basically the entire film uh at this point predator has always been a kind of a more fun b-level premise alien started off as something else but by the time you get here by the time Genet's had his hands on it you can kind of do what you want the, the sheen has come off and the fact that they chose to do something that was so little fun was that's the unforgivable thing you know you can just go ahead at this point if you want to be disrespectful but fun you can do that here with you know but instead, it's disrespectful and dull, and it's far and away the, the the worst film that we've done in the series. It may be my least favorite film we've ever watched for this show. <laughs> I think, I think it has the least to recommend it. I yeah, because at least Little Merman Two: Colon Beyond <laughs> Cyberspace is kind That's of mad. Insane. It's madcap, isn't yeah. it? This this is so it's so fucking dull, and in it's mm. yeah, yeah, you you. you eloquently put it i mean i i i, I don't want to uh eat your sandwiches gally um oh well no it's fine i i um like matt i had to search for the greats uh in order to kind of you know articulate and and condense my my real feelings on this one i went to the original uh alien and i thought to myself maybe the studio exec is like Dallas and it's like the Dallas and Ash scene when they're over, um, they're over Kane. And it's like, um, you know, talking about the franchise. And it's like Alien versus Predator is the face hugger on Kane. It's like, if we remove it, may kill him. Uh, and, and Dallas says as the exec, 
just get it off him. I'll take responsibility. Then they cut the finger and the acid starts to bleed through. And Dallas says, that shit's about to eat through the whole hole. Uh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is my <laughs> rough way of metaphorically saying what this film is. It could have bled through the whole series and gone through the hole and destroyed it all. Those people that like it, I'm not knocking you for liking it, but but it's greatest sin, Devlin, and you're absolutely right, is that it is no fun. So when I see, because uh, I, I, mm. I I went on a YouTube channel, I'll not give the, because I'm, I'm not being nice here, and it had like a Alien vs. Predator explained. And under the comments, there were loads of people kind of saying, yeah, like, I know it's not great, but it's loads of fun. I saw no fun in this. No, I mean, I would rather, I would rather it have been, you know, I watched Godzilla versus, uh, King Kong on your recommendation, Kings of Monsters, Devlin. And yes, Great fun. that movie is incredibly stupid, but you can't, you can't say it's not fun. It's, it's, it's wall to wall what you expect from that type of movie. This movie does not go anywhere near the schlocky premise. And that's the greatest sin. Is is Requiem more fun? Well, we will have to wait and see, won't you, Patrick? I've not seen it since 2006, 2007. It's it's finally the Aliens on Earth film that we wanted because even though this one is on Earth, it may as well be on another planet because of the, you know, the visuals. But yeah, you finally get Aliens and Predators in a town together, Patrick. So if that turns you on, that's the kind of that's that's the way you get your kicks. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it did for me too. Yeah. So yes, not recommend from me. Um, however, if people are just sadistic in their, in their mindset and think, you know what? After what, after hearing these guys talk, God, I wouldn't fancy renting Alien vs. Predator and watching that tonight. So, um, so guys, where can, where can our listeners find it? Disney plus. Disney plus has the back catalogue, uh, the Alien and Predator films. Um, otherwise you have, you know, if you, if you're subscribing to that, otherwise you will have to pay to rent or, um, to view it that way. I wouldn't recommend you buy it on DVD though. Apparently, according to findanyfilm.com, the Blu-ray costs £24.99, you maniacs. Just for one film, or does it, is that two? Alien vs. Predator Blu-ray single oh, film. Oh, wow. Jesus. Are the DVD extras good though, Matt? Like the three hour documentary? The three hour thing is actually more interesting than the film. As we've talked about, sometimes the stories behind the films can be more interesting than the films themselves. I didn't listen to the commentary. Props to Galley for doing that. But, um, I, I wouldn't. OBE. Maybe if you can get, yeah, Galley OBE. If you can get like a very cheap eBay DVD, maybe not the Blu ray. If you can get the unrated one with some extras on it, it might be worth picking it up but i don't know why mm. i mean may, maybe just to reference it, as an example of like how not to do it let's move on to something of quality of value something of commerce that people should engage with so devlin would you mind telling our listeners about our merch rewindmoviecast.com is the website we keep all of our blogs and essays and various other shenanigans and delights over there uh, it's very possible there will not be an essay to accompany this <laughs> Uh, this episode because we're all just too annoyed uh, but you, you will also find all the links uh, uh, for previous episodes and if you head over to the shop tab you'll go to devlindoesdrawing.tmill.com that's the web store for all of your Rewind Movie Podcast merchandise various other bits and pieces that I have put together over the years and also plenty of uh, fantastic work from our very own scariest artists Matt Ridley 
Uh, we forgot to mention during True Lies, our last episode, that there is an Arnold Schwarzenegger bingo trope tote. The idea is that we, we've taken the tropes from uh, uh, Arnold's entire filmography and condensed it into 24 spaces. And you can watch any of the films in his back catalogue and play along or drink along and have some fun with that. Absolutely. And the other thing you get, uh, listeners, when you order one of Arnold's trope totes is we'll send you a card saying... You're our favourite customer. How's about that? <laughs> Listeners, if you enjoy what we do, I mean, obviously, if you're a massive fan of Alien vs. Predator, thanks for your time. I know you're never going to listen to us again. Um, but if you are a big fan of what we do, then please like, subscribe, share, spread the gospel, team. Okay? Please share your thoughts on the show, and please do uh, email in. The only thing that will happen that you will need to be aware of is that I will attribute your location somewhere that is rude within the UK and I think we'll say our goodbyes yes I hope that our discussion will kill every last mother DVD (laughs) of this movie nobody ever say it by the way how embarrassing is that like if you're gonna do it just do it why would you be like oh you're one ugly son of a like why would you not say it anyway it's Gally in Glasgow. Signing out. You tell me. You're the pyramid expert. It's Devlin in London. Um, I don't have any other quotes. This film sucked. It's Patrick in London. Laugh it up, Miller. Laugh it up. It's Matt in South Korea. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.